heads up, I'm not going to be reading the scripture right off tonight, so I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit first, and then we'll weave the scripture into the rest of the sermon. So um, don't freak out. As we make our way toward Holy Week, we, as we started last week, are looking at the different ways that the church across history and across different denominations um, have understood the significance of Jesus's death on the cross. And we can all agree that somehow we are saved, right? But there's a sense of mystery of exactly how we are saved by Christ's death. And to help guide our exploration over the next few weeks, we are looking at McGray de Vega's book, Savior. And so, um, McGray does a great job of taking everything that I only moderately remember from seminary uh, and condenses it into a really short and easy to manage book. And so, if you're wanting to pick up a copy of that book and read it alongside um, what we're talking about this evening, you can head to our bookstore or reach out to Jim Cook, and I bet he can order some for you at a a really great rate. Um, also, McGray is Steve Price's friend, so I bet, I bet he can work some magic. So last week, we talked about the substitutionary atonement theory, where some people connect better to the understanding that Jesus took on our sin, took on our punishment, and took our place on the cross to satisfy or make right our relationship between humanity, and God. And so this week, we are traversing through the ransom atonement theory. Where, um, So before I dive in, I want to ask, can anyone take a wild guess as to what the ransom atonement theory might mean? There are no wrong answers. Everything's right, unless it's wrong. Um <laughs> So I want to hear what you think first. Um, so you are exercising your ability to answer questions. So what do you think atone the ransom atonement theory might mean? Any thoughts? And if you're joining us online, you're not excluded. Put your answers in the comments section. Any thoughts? <laughs> Paying a debt. Yes, good, paying a debt. Any other thoughts? Good. We'll start there. Have you all played the game of telephone? Think back to preschool. Someone share with me what the game of telephone is. Yes, Miss Angela. Absolutely. And what's wild is that you start with a fairly easy and normal sentence, right? Something that everyone should get and be able to hear, even if you're whispering. But and one by one, like you said, the children whisper the sentence to the next person and the next person and the next person. And when you arrive at the end, the sentence is usually not at all what you started with. And there's always that one kid right in the middle that throws in a monkey 
Or in my household with a lovely four-year-old boy, the word but is used a lot. Um, So you can only imagine that words like that would completely derail an entire sentence and the original meaning of the word. Well, for me, the ransom atonement theory is the haywire sentence we get at the end of an extremely long game of telephone that can be traced throughout history of the Christian church. McGray describes it this way. We were stolen away from the kind of life that we were created to live, swept away from the joy, peace, and love that was supposed to characterize our existence, and we could not escape on our own. I'll read that again. We were stolen away from the kind of life that we were created to live, swept away from the joy, peace, and love that was supposed to characterize our existence, and we could not escape on our own. So the idea goes that God, in order to save us from this captivity, from this life that was not what was intended, a life of sin and distance from God, God had to negotiate a price for us to be released, a ransom price, so that we might be liberated. And that price happened to be the very life of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, on the outset... This, the way that this ransom theory has landed, it sounds fine. This sounds normal because we've heard this theory preached. We've heard the language of we are held captive. And we sing songs like this. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, For I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Now a reminder that any and all of the the atonement theories we talk about are not necessarily wrong. Each and every one of us look at our life of faith and have different experiences and so come to know Christ in different ways. And so in the same way, each of these theories have good, um, great invitations for us to think differently about our own life of faith. And they also present challenges because we are humans trying to wrap our minds around something that is so much greater than we can fully understand. So we are doing our very best. And so with each atonement theory, I'm going to talk about a couple of challenges that I, I see when I look at this from my own perspective. And you might see challenges from your own. And then I will invite us to the invitation, how we can look at each theory and have it um, help guide us on our journey to Holy Week. So the way that the church has telephoned this particular theory over time, for me, presents two major theological risks. The first is that a God who has to negotiate a price point with our captor 
For me, it's not a God who is truly omnipotent or all-powerful. That is a God who seems to be a little fearful and willing to negotiate with someone who's perceived to hold all of the power cards in their hands. So, for me, what is at risk is God's very omnipotence. And the second is uh, I start to think about this from my experience on Saturday night. I attended the Catholic Charities Fundraiser Gala. And during that gala, I had my very first experience of a live auction. Have you ever been to a live auction where there's someone who talks really, really fast and is, um, is trying to, they set a price that's relatively low, and then you get bites. And then the guy who's talking really fast invites people to raise the bar higher and higher and higher. And so in thinking about that experience, and if we are going to run with this final form of ransom theory, then I wonder how low that our captor started with the bid for our own lives. And if we landed all the way at Jesus' life, where did God have to start? So for me, it calls into question my own very sacred worth that we were created in the image of God, and if we had to start the bid low, does that match up with our own worth, the worth that God created us in God's image? And so those are the two theological questions that I hold relatively loosely. But I do believe that this theory has an invitation for us. And so to uncover the true invitation of what has morphed into what we know as ransom theory, I believe we have to go back to the beginning, to that beginning sentence or the biblical text that started this history's longest game of telephone. Jesus had just been through the ringer. After 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan himself, he was ready to begin his public ministry. So he returned to his hometown synagogue of Nazareth. He stood in the vestibule of that beautiful worship space, rolled out the scroll from Isaiah, and proclaims this. I invite you to follow along. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm going to read it one more time. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the word of God given to us as the children of God, and we say, thanks be to God. So friends, if you were to look back at those words from Isaiah that Jesus is reading to this congregation of the people gathered, what are the action words that you see written in this prophecy? And I invite you to go ahead and name them aloud. 
spirit, anointed, proclaim, good, others, Hmm? Recovery. Good. What other action words? Free. Yes. Jesus rolls out this scroll of prophecy and and proclaims that his work on earth is to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captive, recover sight to the set free those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you bring these action words all together, does this, what does this sound like? This sounds like freedom. Do you remember a time when you felt truly free? Was it when the teacher yelled, have a good summer, as you throw your backpack on and race it toward the door of the classroom? Was it when you were handed your driver's license and the keys to your dad's beat-up Chevrolet? Was it when you sent off your final student loan payment or finished the longest project of your life? (coughs) Ordination? or boxed up your office as you sped off into the retirement sunset? When was the last moment that you felt truly freed? This moment in Luke's gospel is the foundation for understanding the totality of Jesus's work on earth to include what happened on the cross. The very first action of his public ministry is naming his place among the poor, the captive, the blind, the prisoners, people who know what it means to be held down or tied up or shackled or kept back from reaching their fullest potential. Jesus' work, not only in his ministry, but in his death and his resurrection, was to bring freedom to bring liberation. McGray in his book says it this way, Jesus frees us not only from the spiritual bondage of sin, but from all the other forms of bondage that stem from sin, economic, political, and cultural captivity. It's a totality total freedom so that we can live into a life of following God's call, of using our gifts, 
of seeing our own sacred value and offering that to the world. The invitation for us as with thinking about this idea of ransom theory is not to focus on the fact that we are held captive, but to look with hope toward freedom, a freedom that Christ's bold self-offering on the cross allows us to claim with boldness and excitement and hope. It's an invitation for us to sing even in the midst of our own suffering, even in the midst of feeling weighed down. Sing songs like, I am set free, oh, I am set free, oh, it is for freedom that I am set free. Or, if we're more old school, songs like, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of our God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Because Christ came to set us free, regardless of the price. In fact, Christ came to set us free even before there was a price to be paid because it had never been about us. It has always been about God's love instead. So that, my friends, is the invitation to cling to when we think about being set free set free from all that weighs us down, set free from sin, set free to claim our own sacred worth. Amen.